The Holy Gospel according to John, the third chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our Maker and Redeemer. Amen. It is, as Pam mentioned, Holy Trinity Sunday, a day dedicated to what emerged in the first few centuries of the Christian church at its very best attempt to describe what is, of course, ultimately the indescribability of God, which the church did with what came to be known as the doctrine of the Trinity. Trinity not being a word that is found in the Bible or that even existed, but rather a word the early church created in, in order to describe in its best way that it thought it could, the fact that, biblically speaking, God's indescribability somehow comprises both threeness and oneness, as in a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit who are not all the same, but are nevertheless all, in some way, all the same God, the same one and only one God. Because on one hand, the Bible does say, as clearly as can be, that there is absolutely, truly one and only one God. But equally clearly, by the time the New Testament, for example, has gotten done describing this one and only one God, it has done so talking about Father and Son and Spirit. 
Plus, by way of another example, there are scenes in the New Testament where Jesus is praying to his Father in heaven and even in at least one case where he is, he is wrestling actively with the will of the Father in heaven, which seems clearly to say that the two of them in some way are, are different from each other, not the same. While on the other hand, Jesus elsewhere in John says that to see him is actually to see his father. And to know him is actually to know the father, which seems clearly to say something about the two of them in some way being the same as each other. It can truly leave your head spinning if you think about it too much, which I actually have come to think is one of the things this doctrine of the Trinity thing has going for it. Because it seems clear to me that if we who are merely us offer a description of God that doesn't leave our heads spinning, but is rather something that we, we can wrap our minds around, something that we can understand, then that description isn't a description of the godness of God at all, but is rather just a description that was the most godness we personally could imagine, which I imagine isn't all that much. For our tiny not-God brains aren't enough brains to get near to fully fathoming the fullness of the godness of God. Which, as I said, I think is one of the things the doctrine of the Trinity has going for it because it doesn't fit in my tiny little brain either. And thinking about it very long, this whole simultaneous threeness and oneness too long does leave my head spinning. But spinning head or not, I nevertheless do believe in the one and only one God, only one God, who has somehow made God's self known to us as Father and Son and Spirit. And I do so quite certain that if the God, the understanding of whom we can completely imagine or fathom without spinning heads, that God isn't God at all. Our gospel text tells for today of an encounter between Jesus and a religious teacher and thinker named Nicodemus, which, as it turns out, left Nicodemus's head spinning. Interestingly, however, though this text was chosen for Trinity Sunday because it includes reference to all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what makes Nicodemus's head spin is not that, but rather Jesus saying that people, in order to know God and in order to be part of the kingdom of God, need to be born from above, or it is more popularly translated born again, either translation being fine as far as the Greek is concerned, which causes Nicodemus's head to start spinning because he assumes Jesus to be speaking literal truth, which is clear when you hear him respond to Jesus' words about being born from above or born again by saying, so like what? I'm supposed to go find my mother and see if we can try a do-over? Note to self, when you get all literal about things that were never intended to be such. Don't be shocked if it leads you to some kind of goofy conclusions, which is something I try to tell um, young earth literalist, young earth creationists when they tell me that the only way I can truly believe in the Bible's creator God is by believing that the earth is less than 10,000 years old, which I truly don't believe. 
Another note to self, I may be dancing with heresy here, uh, but what the heck, let's dance. The doctrine of the Trinity, a doctrine over the years I actually have grown more and more to cherish, truly, may in fact shine its most powerful light most powerfully when we don't insist that it shine completely literally, but rather like one of, a, one of the favorite of my uh, Trinity Sunday hymns, though we're not singing it today for other reasons, um, the dance of the Trinity is maybe sometimes something we dance with, um, or maybe like all of our best and deepest attempts to describe um, God's ultimate indescribability, maybe it's more like something, I think Rob Bell makes this observation, it's something uh, like a trampoline that we jump on maybe even have some fun with, rather than being a jail cell, which cages us in with walls that have not one bit of give. Nicodemus took to be literally true what Jesus meant to be spiritually true, and it led him to believe that Jesus was saying something goofy, namely that he had to go find his mom and find his way back into the womb, which I'm sure Christians can all agree Jesus wasn't saying. Unfortunately, though Christians can agree on that much, over the years there's been a lot of not agreeing when it comes to understanding, well, what in the world was Jesus saying when he said you must be born from above or more popularly born again? And a whole lot of the not agreeing among Christians over the years has been, well, frankly, not very Christian. I mean, uh, it's been ugly sometimes. And, of course, I'm not going to clear up 2,000 years of Christians thinking different things about whatever are all the things Jesus did mean when he said you must be born again. But I want to suggest that one thing I believe is totally clear and is totally meant to be kept in mind is that whatever we think about the meaning of those words, that being that whatever you think being born again means, it can't mean something or a list of some things that we each personally are supposed to do for ourselves. That is so clear to me in this text that it just baffles me the number of times people do talk about being born-again Christians. But what they're talking about actually is precisely some list of things, usually a pretty exact list of things that they have said and done and believed and experienced. And now they say that you now personally have to say and believe and experience in, by and large, the very same way what they did in order to be saved or perhaps in order to Prove to them that you've actually been saved. But in either case, the born again in their case is all about your own decisions and your own actions. I do not understand how we ever got to that conclusion. I mean, seriously, you're talking about being born again. Think about it. Think about being born the first time. You were the result, not the cause. You didn't birth you. You were birthed. And not only that, but when it came to crunch time, you fought it the whole way. You wanted no part of being born. So strong contractions were necessary to contract upon you. And even if that sometimes wasn't even enough, surgery had to be required in order to get you willing to be born. You, on your birthday, were not the one to birth you and give you life. And so, too, you're not the one who can spiritually birth you and give you eternal life. It, it too, is done upon you. It happens to you. It's not from you. It's a gift from above. 
It's clear as anything to me. Whatever you think born again or born from above means, it, it just can't mean this list of religious things that we personally are supposed to do or this list of religious steps that we suppose personally are supposed to take, which is exactly what confused Nicodemus because the language he was speaking was the language of religion, especially the language of religious observance or religious performance or religious achievement. And as it turns out, religious speaking people were over and over again the people Jesus had the darndest time getting through to because no matter what religion in the world you're talking about, people who speak religion are almost inevitably speaking the language of verbs that we are the subjects of. The language of things that have to be done in order to draw us close to God, and we are the ones who have to do them. But Jesus didn't come to earth speaking the language of religion. He came to turn religions, all of them, upside down by speaking the language of grace. The language of verbs that God is the subject of. The language of things that we can't do, but God can and has and does and will to draw close to us. For just as the wind does what it does and you're not in control of it, Jesus says to Nicodemus, so too God's Holy Spirit, the holy wind, does what God does and you're not in control of that either. You can't go find mom and find your way back in. You can't go find God and find your way in either. But God so loved the world said Jesus to Nicodemus, that God sent the Son to come find you. But not to find you with rules and conditions of religion, but rather to find you with the good news of grace and unconditional love. And when the absolutely unconditional love of God is the thing that is having its way with you, born anew, born again, is John 3's phrase for what happens to you then and what keeps happening to you over and over and over again every time the air, the spirit you are breathing is not the air, the spirit of your personal religious effort to be wholly lovable, but rather Jesus' promise of amazing grace. Grace which says you are loved. Indeed, what grace says is that you are to die for. Whatever you think born again means exactly, don't turn it into this list of religious things we personally do, for Jesus doesn't primarily, barely at all, maybe not at all, speak the language of religion. Jesus' primary language is grace. For in the kingdom of God, he's the one who's done the list of things that needed doing, and he did them for you. Which doesn't mean there's not a whole long list of things to do. Oh my goodness, no. In this sin-broken world, there are all kinds of things that would be good to do and need to be done. Do them. Just don't do them in order to be born again and therefore loved. Do them as the born again, who know how deeply you are by God, so loved. And if you have trouble remembering that, do what Luther said is a good thing to do. Every single day of your life, remember the waters of your baptism. In which, for most of us before we were old enough to do anything, was poured out upon us the promise. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, you are a now and forever loved child of God. Amen.